Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. Amazing episode for you today. Today we have Rebecca Minkoff on the show. If you're not familiar with her work, luxury handbag designer, accessories, footwear, fashion apparel, and so much more. She's a host of an incredible podcast. She's got a new book out called Fearless. Uh, but less about the what Rebecca Minkoff has achieved and more about the how. The fact that she left her home and moved to New York with two suitcases at 18 to pursue her dreams. The fact that when the pandemic hit, like so many of you out there, she had to completely reinvent her business. The how, what goes into making someone as not just successful on the professional side, but as a parent uh, and as a leader with her female founders collective in inspiring other women entrepreneurs out there. I know you're going to love the story about how Rebecca Minkoff made the living and life that she has for herself. The show's a doozy. I can't wait for you to check it out. I'm going to get out of the way. And now, Rebecca Minkoff. This episode of the show is brought to you by Creative Live. This is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. Bar none, no questions asked. And you're like, wait a minute, aren't you the founder of that? Indeed, I am. And that is one of the reasons I believe deeply in it. But I will let 10 plus million students speak for me in this endeavor. Uh, this is where Pulitzer Prize winners, it's where the New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best, teach classes in creativity like photography, video, art, design, music and audio, craft, maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of these disciplines. There's health and wellness classes. There, it's the total package for any creator or entrepreneur. And I have to say that I have put my entire lifeblood into this thing, as have the dozens and dozens of people who work there and about a thousand of the world's top creators who teach on this platform. Well, I used to encourage you to buy classes and would have discounts on those classes, but you know what? This year we are doubling down on subscription. Well, a single class used to be like $99 or $149, and we have now moved to subscription first world where you get all of the content that's right tens of thousands of hours of content thousands of classes for one subscription price and it's a hundred and change over at creativelive.com slash creator pass that is always where the best price on that exists at again creativelive.com slash creator pass to unlock the entire library all right uh, that about wraps it up now let's get back to the show Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here with you. Um, I, as we were talking uh, before we started recording, our mutual friend Damon John introduced us, and uh, I've been a longtime fan of your work from across the country for some time. Congratulations on building something incredible. Uh, you've got your your hands in so many things. That's part of what our audience of creators and entrepreneurs is very interested in, That the fact that we're all multi-hyphenates. But before we get deep into what you're doing today and to, in your new book, Fearless, and uh, all sorts of other things, let's go back for the handful of people who are new to you or your work and give them just a little bit of context, starting off with you as a young person and bring us up to uh, what you're up to today. But first, I want to start at the beginning where your where your journey started. Yeah. So um, born and raised in San Diego, California, and fell in love with design, not on purpose, 
But when I was eight years old, I saw a dress that I had to have. And when I just assumed blindly that my mom would spend 20 bucks on this dress, um, she said no, which shocked me and said, I'll teach you how to sew it. And um, most people might think like, oh, that's so cute. I bet she was so excited. I was pissed. I have a nine-year-old. When they want something, it's the only thing that you know is on their minds and they want it now. Um, and so I reluctantly let her teach me how to sew. And then I became like hooked on the idea that I could, you know, make something that was in my head or, you know, as I went through my awkward, painful, painful teenage years where I was very, very thin, which I should have been like, hell yes, I'm thin. But instead I was like bullied for it and couldn't fit into clothing and nothing fit me. Like I got to make things that fit me. I got to cut up garments that I got at thrift stores and, and make them fit me. That gave me so much confidence and so much um, just personal satisfaction that I could, that I could fix a situation that I couldn't control. Um, and so it just became something that I was, you know, head down working on as much as I could. And when it was around high school, um, I decided to go to a performing arts high school as a dancer. Go with me here. Uh, wow. Nice. And they were like, Oh, you're too tall. And the boys haven't hit a puberty yet. You're going to be in the back all the time. And instead of, you know, sulking in the back, never going to be the prima ballerina who'd be like 6'2 on point shoes. I was like, I'll go work in the costume department. And so I really honed my skills there. Um, and when it came time to go to college, you know, I just thought I got to get to work. I can't do this. And so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm condensing a little bit of the storyline, but I managed to secure an internship with a designer in New York City that my brother had known and went to New York at 18 with two suitcases, Wow. Nowhere to live, but this internship that paid minimum wage. <laughs> Whoa. There is a lot to unpack there. And I know that's the condensed. We just like walk through like 30 years of your life, 20, 25 years of your life there. But, um, well, there's a couple of things that I would like to unpack at the beginning because they, I think, show us some insights into where, where your life and career went. One that who you are today is not who you can be. And as you, you talked about it being awkward, what made you, what gave you the inspiration to do the work to customize your life at such a young age? I think that because I was so thin, you know, if I went shopping, which was like the experience you have as a preteen, your parents drop you off at the mall, you get to go to Wet Seal and Contempo, or whatever, and hang out there for the day and eat some Chick-fil-A. Like that was a, a little preteen's life. And I couldn't wear anything. And that was and then on top of that, being made fun of, you know, not just the too skinny, the braces, you know, the, the whole thing we all get to go through, that that rite of passage, if you will. Um, the minute I could sort of make things to fit me or go to a thrift store because, you know, my mom wasn't buying me mm. things and cut up some things and customize them. That just changed how I felt. You know, it changed how I presented myself, the confidence that I have. And that, that feels addicting when you find that thing that does that. And was it fashion? Was that a thing that because it gave you that freedom that, that that's what you wanted to explore? Or was there more than that? I think there was more than that. I also remember, um, you know, for Hanukkah, we weren't a typical family. Like we would get one gift. And so, you know, my mom would get us one subscription to a fashion magazine and we'd all have to share it. Um, and I just remember my, my issue of Vogue or W would come 
And I'd be pouring over it so inspired with other designers and like the worlds that they created. And I just remember thinking like, how powerful is it? Most people, you know, don't realize it like that clothing can make you feel something, you know, when a woman purchases my bags, it's because she's celebrating a true milestone moment in her life. And so that feeling is, is insanely powerful. And so I think I, I liked that idea that I could help create that. You talked a little bit about being bullied. How, how much, I mean, well, we're all a product of our childhood, right? Of, of wounds and trauma and, um, how much of that do you think played into you wanting to be in charge of your own life as an entrepreneur, wanting to be sex successful and, and wanting to, um, prove the haters wrong. I, 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 this has just been a recurring theme. You know, we've done hundreds of shows and whether it's being bullied or realizing that you were the bully and needing to sort of recalibrate your, your universe, um, just, you know, help, help, connect us with what looks to be on the outside an incredibly charmed life. Help us understand that, that part of your childhood experience. So it's funny you say that you could have been bullied or be the bully. Um, and it sort of triggered the idea that when I, we moved to Florida when I was 10 and the minute I found my sort of click or group, I started being the one to want to leave certain girls out. And then at 13, I must have, karma, karma's a bitch, uh, that happened to me where another girl said, oh, she's not cool. She's awkward. She's nerdy, whatever it is, you know, and alienated my entire friend group. Um, so I've definitely been on both sides. Um, and I don't know that the two for me of wanting to be a designer connected me you know, with bullying, but it definitely, you know, when I was at my most alone and had nothing to do on a Friday night, you know, me and Martha Stewart got real friendly. I was like the craft queen. And so I think that fueled my desire to design is that I had no other plans. I had no gigs in town except for me and my Mod Podge, if you know what that is, and my sewing machine. This, the sewing, like that, that gift for me, my grandfather passed away and gave me his cameras, which completely transformed my life. This idea that uh, you know, the sewing machine empowered you and gave you a ticket to, in, in some ways, you know, your mom by saying no, but giving you something sort of uh, seemed to light a fire. Do you feel like there's something in in everyone's past? Or are these just anomalies for both you and I? Or, you know, when you coach other entrepreneurs who, who say they have the spirit or the vision or the passion, but don't know the thing. And the reason I'm asking is because there's, you know, people all over the world who are listening or watching to this, this right now. And they are yearning for that thing. You found your thing. I have found my thing. Damon has found his thing. When you get asked by, you know, so many aspiring entrepreneurs where to look, what, what do you, what do you tell them? Where do you send them looking into their past or some magic moment? Or, I mean, again, for you is probably the sewing machine, but what, you know, what, what, what are, what's some advice that you give? I think there's two ways I look at it. If you were to ask me honestly, was my first choice to be a designer? I would say no. My first choice was to be a design, a dancer or choreographer. Um, I started too late. 
You know, there are very few cases outside of Misty Copeland where you can start dancing. And because it has to deal with your body and the formation of bones and muscles and tendons, that you can sort of change things that are innately part of you. Um, I didn't have it. I also had a very large chest. I was also very tall. Like I didn't, you know, as inclusive as the world is today, the dance community isn't quite there yet. And so I really had to take a hard look. Am I going to be a struggling dancer who's a waitress on the side for the rest of my life and then go open up a dance studio? Like where can I make the most impact in my life and achieve something that I love? And second to that was costume design and, and design itself. I was like, you know what? doesn't matter what my body looks like for this. I can, I can succeed in this arena. And so I think for people that are searching or seeking, do you have some innate talent that enables you to do what you do? Um, or do you have a passion for something? And then it's about fueling that passion and being as strategic as possible with going after it and knowing it's going to take so much more time than you think, so much more hard work than you think. And so do you love that passion enough that it's worth the late nights, the sacrifices, the risks, the sleeping on egg crates, mattresses, homemade, you know, all the things you're going to have to do to to go with that dream. Because no matter whether you are born with it to be the gymnast or the swimmer or whatever, or you you go, okay, I'll take my second choice, um, it's going to be hard no matter what. So does is that passion big enough to be your North Star? It's It's pretty crazy that we can fail at doing something that other people want us to do. And yet we are reluctant to go after the thing that we were put on this earth to do, or that we have so much passion or desire or energy for. So assuming that you agree, you can throw rocks at that. So, uh, but if you do agree, who looking back with, was there anyone besides that little voice inside your head that actually gave you encouragement. And I'm asking so that the, you know, the folks at, uh, who are listening and watching, you know, realize that inspiration or support or community or can come in so many forms and ways. And I'm wondering where yours came from. You mentioned being alone on Friday nights, but did you have some people in your life that you could, you could turn to, or was all of the energy was that little, creative plutonium just, just inside of you? Definitely not. Um, my mom, I think was a constant source of that. You know, she had this rule that she wouldn't buy us things, but she would pay for the class and the materials. So whether it was clothing or, you know, jewelry, like I remember she used to sell items at the San Diego flea market. And I was like, I want to <clears> sell <throat> something at the flea market. And I had a little card table and I tried to sell my puffy paint t-shirts and bad artwork I made and no one bought anything. But all week I would be so excited about the fact that I got to go to the flea market and showcase what I was making. Um, and then, and then, you know, I had an almost sister-in-law who lived with us. And when I was going through the worst, most depressing periods of that loneliness, she's like, none of this matters. And you're going to be so much more successful than these girls will ever be. Just keep working on your dream. And when I look I used to write on my bathroom walls, like I was in an Ani DeFranco kind of Tori Amos mindset. And I would like write all poetry on my bathroom walls. And when I would look back on it, when I'd go over the home, I was like, man, she was right. You know, and it was her kind of just repeating to me, none of this matters. It's a phase. You'll get through it. 
Um, and then when I moved to New York, you know, this designer who was a gentleman hired me, but he was on the road all the time <laughs> going to department stores and he was never around. So when I arrived my first day, the CEO took one look at me and she's like, ugh, you're just another pretty face that I'm going to have to deal with. And I was like, oh, welcome me. Guess I'm glad to be here. But she really wanted to make sure that I would work hard. And I was like, I'm going to show you how hard I'm going to work. And when she saw that, she's like, aha, good. Now I'm going to teach you everything. And so she was a huge mentor. So it wasn't about handing me anything. It was about a little bit of tough love, which I think goes a long way. But making, you know, these women that have made sure that I could swim. Well, I think that's of the handful of things that I wanted to unpack in your your short version of the first 30 years of your life or 24 years of your life, rather. The, the going to New York with two suitcases, I mean, that is you know, written about widely. And most people, um, end up with their tail between their legs. And so is there any advice you feel like for people who think that they have to move to New York or LA to make it? And conversely, is there anything that, um, that you completely regret or what's changed since then. I want, I want to understand the 360 degree view of this radical shift in moving from, <laughs> from where you were to the, the fashion, you know, one of the fashion centers of the world. Was it worth it? Would you recommend it to everybody? Would, you know, how important was that in, in your journey? Clearly you got your first break if there was one to learn from your mentor, but, uh, help us, you know, paint a little bit more of a picture for us. So when I told my parents, I wanted to move, my parents <clears throat> were children of the hippie area, hippie era. And they said, great, you know, we're not going to fund an apartment for you, but you have a minimum wage paying job. I'm sure you'll figure it out. Oh, and by the way, the cheapest, we'll buy you a plane ticket, but we're only going to pay for it to go to Islip Airport because that's a much better deal than flying into JFK or LaGuardia. So if you know New York, Islip is really far away. And with two suitcases that don't have wheels on them yet, um, that, that's a long journey. So I, I flew into Islip. My aunt picked me up and we took a train, a Long Island Railroad, into the city. Um, and I said to my friend who was at Fordham, hey, will you put me up for a couple weeks until I figure this out. And he said, sure, you can sleep on the couch. Um, so I would sneak in there every night. And then after about a month, my parents came up to check on me and they made a deal with my cousin. They said, if you watch, if she watches your daughter twice a week, you can sleep in the playroom, but you got to clean up every day, put everything away. It's like, you're not here, but you can live here for free. And so that was like my first year in New York until I, I saved up enough money to move in with two grandmas. Um, but what I say to people now is New York, LA, Chicago, you know, these big cities, Paris, London, if you want to be someone that's at the center of the capital of something and you want to be written about in the press and become a thought leader and a tastemaker and all those things, I think that today it's still incredibly important. But there are also so many examples of people, you know, I'm temporarily residing back with my parents in Florida. Um, and I'm meeting people that are like, oh, yeah, I have an Amazon company and we're doing 40 million a year or, or I'm, oh, I'm doing $16 million a year in skincare on Amazon. And I'm like, excuse me, what? <laughs> you know, it's and crazy. I'm like, you're living, you're living a great life. And, you know, there's a bunch of trade-offs. They get to live a much more comfortable life, but then they see that, oh, people know my name and that must be great. 
So I think it really depends what you want. Do you want the, the, you know, the fame and being part of like the, where the pinnacle of that industry is, or do you want a great life and make a lot of money? I mean, I think they're, they're very different experiences. Yeah. What's that adage? Do you, if given the choice between famous or rich, choose rich. <laughs> I don't know if, uh, who, who said it best, but uh, do you feel like, is it, is it really that simple today? Is it, is it about being in the paper where is, is there something around the education that you can get from, for example, your mentor in real time in person, or can you get that from the internet where right now someone who's listening to this show is arguably being mentored by you. So is that enough or is, I guess it, you know, it goes back to your point of it depends on what you want, but how close can you get to having it all and doing it by writing your own script instead of following, you know, Rebecca Minkoff's path? I think it's both. You can get an incredible, valuable amount of information, let's say, from listening to the guests you have on your podcast. You know, I've met people in clubhouse rooms that have changed, you know, how my book is going to be launched. But there's something that doesn't ever replace the fact that I'm sitting next to someone at a dinner party in New York City that's an editor from a magazine who's going to do X, Y, and Z for me. And so I think it's more pre-pandemic, the touch points and interactions you would have that just will never organically happen if you're not in in those cities. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean you won't achieve success, but it means that some of the pathways to get there just might be different. Um, and the pandemic has made everything possible in a way. You know, I think normally I would be in studio with you, or I used to have only yep. my guests in studio. Um, I've given hundreds of talks that I'd have to be on an airplane for. So I think now more than ever, there is no set path. You don't have to be in New York, but I think it makes it a little easier if you are in those places. Fair enough. So we're going to fast forward now. In 2001, you started designing at a cool little capsule based on the I Love New York t-shirt. In 2005, I think it was 2005, you did your first handbag, which obviously from there cascaded notoriety and um and a business and now you've got you know a podcast you got your new book fearless which in so many ways is a it's a little bit of a manual if you will the subtitle new rules for unlocking creativity courage and success um when you would you call it a tipping point before you you sort of unlocked you know book deals and uh and you know big money and big opportunity with your company was was just doing something putting something out in the world putting the handbag or the t-shirt or the you know that, that capsule that you put out fashion capsule in 2001 you know is there one particular moment in time where you feel like you went from you know not on or partly on to like click or was it a, was it a series of a hundred little things that no one could actually measure or see happening? I think, um, a little bit of both. I think that when Jenna Elfman wore my shirt on Jay Leno shortly after nine 11, I had sent her the shirt pre nine 11. She wore it. He'd said my name on national TV back then being on TV or being in a magazine was incredibly powerful, far more than it is today. 
Um, so that was one, right? It got my name so that I could call up a boutique and they'd be like, I know I've heard your name, not your wearer, but sure, come show me what you have. Then again, it happened when um, this this uh, once a day email in your inbox, when that was still a new thing, there was no such thing as junk mail. Uh, it was called Daily Candy. Um, wrote about the bags and the title of the article was The Catwalk of Shame. And that ignited a spark that the morning after bag was born, women identified, it was the sex in the city era. And they just wanted to celebrate like the idea that they might go out and have a fun night and not know what happened, you know, not know, you know, what could happen and they could walk home the next morning from some, some dude's house. Um, and so that second one ignited an experience. And again, as women identify their bags with these milestone moments, a, a power that all of a sudden, all the pushing I was doing, all of the effort to like get out there suddenly became a lot easier because I had momentum. And I think whenever you experience that momentum in your career, like, man, that feels good and go with it for as long as you can. And it'll take you so far, but then the wind might die again. Um, and so I think after that, it was then a series of very small things that we are, we're constantly going. And sometimes you get a little, you get a little blip in the radar um, and that's a fashion show or a new store opening or, you know, what we're about to do next fashion week. Um, but that just keeps you relevant these days. It doesn't, it doesn't ensure, you know, you're going to be set forever. There's no relaxing. Is there a point in that arc where you figured that you had made it in the classic sense? And if so, how did it change you? And if not, is that something that you're, that you're still chasing? I'll never forget the feeling of calling Chase Bank every day to see if I had enough money to eat because I, you know, again, you didn't log on to check your bank account balance. You just deposited a check and crossed your fingers that it cleared. Um, the day that I didn't have to call Chase to go out to dinner with my friends and not worry about like, well, what if they order more than me and then they want to split the check? That day, I was like, I've made it. Don't have to do that anymore. Um, and then there were periods of time where I felt like I made it. Like when I didn't check emails on the weekend, I was like, I've made it. Don't need to worry. Nothing's on fire, you know, or... Um, when I could get through a whole Thanksgiving dinner in preparation for our Black Friday sales with our site not crashing. Um, I definitely had visions of what making it looked like. Like I imagined all my competitors when they reached X point of their business that they put their feet up and took it easy. And I know that that is definitely not true now. So my idea of making it has had to shift by a lot. <laughs> okay. I promise we'd fast forward. So if... Uh, by some definitions you've made it and by others you're still seeking. You are involved in so much. Not only, you know, do you have uh, your fashion and accessories and so much in and fashion, um, so many accomplishments, so many new products, but you've you're the host of an amazing podcast, which by the way, I want to congratulate you on that. You got the book thing, which, you know, again, for those who want to check it out, I highly recommend Fearless, The New Rules for Unlocking Creativity, Courage, and Success. But, you know, you've, you've got this, the collective, which I think is incredibly inspiring. And I'm wondering if you can talk about the female founder collective, because the the audience that listens to the show is is roughly 50% female. 
and the idea that there are places on the internet is, you know, to, to discover and connect with other people, that's not new, but I, I think that what you're doing in particular, uh, is fascinating. So, so many things happening. I want to first dig in on the female founder collective. Yes. So first let me say this. I hate it when people seem like they're doing it all. And I know that's impossible. So the two reasons I was able to have a podcast and have the and launch the collective is because when I went on maternity leave with what I hope is my last kid, um, <laughs> I I went from having 18 direct reports to one. And I was able to streamline, you know, I no longer needed to say the Pantone for this zebra brown is blah, or the cotton content fabric is this, or go to all the leather shows. And I still am heavily involved with design, but we had to remove uh, something. And so the minute that happened, I had a lot more free time. And in that free time, I was doing some soul searching of where am I best utilized? Should I be in the back where no one ever sees and hears from me? Or should I be more forward-facing and be able to also help other women, right? Because my my brand serves women. 95% of my employees are women. And all I'm hearing about is wage gaps and C-suite executives being, you know, more men named John than, than women. And so I began to look at how I could I, impact women the most. And it was through storytelling on my podcast which I launched in 2018, where you get to hear these women's failures, their vulnerabilities, uh, but also almost like you're overhearing two girlfriends talk, because sometimes I think that's the best way to take advice. Um, so people like Katie Couric or Jessica Alba or Bozema St. John or the McBride sisters, which you've never heard of, but they're the one of the only you know, Black-owned wineries in the United States. So you get to hear from people that are expected and unexpected. And then in, in terms of solving, you know, the wage gap and the inequity with female-owned businesses in America, I thought, you know what, there's a power in collective. There's a power in founders teaching their hard-won knowledge to each other. I certainly didn't start my business with any sort of business acumen or education. If someone had sat me down and said, this is what a profit and loss looks like, or this is how you calculate, you know, the budget for the year, I would have made so many less mistakes. So if we can bridge that gap between women from where they're starting to women who've come, you know, further along, um, that will it help that woman's business succeed. So we have about 10,000 members. We just, uh, on the 8th of, yes, the 8th of June, we're launching a paid membership, which is even more enriching in terms of education. And then we have a seal. I shop by seals if it's vegan or paraben-free or organic. And so how can we make it easy that the consumer does not have to think about it and they see the seal and they go, oh, yeah, woman-owned. I know that money is going to a hardworking woman, not corporate. Um, and and so hopefully that affects, at the end of the day, it affects the wage gap. It affects more female-founded companies succeeding and, you know, changing things. So those are my goals. And I feel, you know, when you asked me earlier how I, when I made it, the fact that as a designer, I can then launch two new offshoots, that's definitely a feeling of like making it. Talk to me a little bit more about 10th House, which is that the education part of the Female Founder Collective. I think that's fascinating. And, and you're going to get some newfound members here if you can describe it for us. Yeah. So the 10th House is the paid membership part of the community. We offer incredible events for free. We offer the ability to connect with one another for free. But when you're part of 10th House, which is an astrological 
uh, inspired meaning. It's the place for wisdom, business and wisdom and education. Um, we thought that was a perfect uh, title for it. But you're going to get other women who are in the same stage and size of business that you are at or just a little bit ahead of you to give you all their tips, tricks, resources. We have um, incredibly focused digital events where we survey you. What do you need to know? Like, what are you lacking in your business and how can we help you? And then we find that woman who's been there and done that and she teaches you. Um, we also have amazing, hopefully, live events where we do that in person as well. Hearing someone on a panel is awesome, but getting them to give you their, their you know, secret tips is even more valuable. So there's tons of other um, good things to come with the collective, but you know, the power that can be unleashed from this community, giving and getting with each other all day long will accelerate a woman's success. So that's what we hope to do. Um, I, I think that sounds incredible. This idea of in person, I mean, it's not dissimilar to speaking from personal bias around creative live who has in-person audiences and bring in amazing teachers. And I was really inspired when I read that you were launching that and that just again in case you missed it we're going to drop this show it's will have just come out um so i would encourage you uh female founders out there or people who aspire to be or become a female founder to check it out from what i know about it it's going to be incredible um you you talked about the uh you know, not, not necessarily having made it always on the journey. There's part, there's signs and signals, um, and they come in all kinds of different forms. But one of the things I want to try and, you know, work through for just a moment here is on the outside, again, it looks like you, you know, part of my expression, you got your shit together, right? You got the home life, you've got these, a, a suite of brands and different activations that you've, you've got, again, just look so put together from so far away. And it's not uncommon guests on the show, you know, the world changers. Can you share with us like some stuff that is not on the website, some stuff that is not, um, not written, written about you in, in articles and Forbes and, and whatnot, like help people out there who are trying to do what you've done, help them understand that it's hard and it's messy and, that despite, you know, what it looks like on your Instagram feed, that, um, that it might feel a little bit different in real life than what we're, you know, what we ostensibly talk about so often in podcasts is the success and, and how to, how to make more of it. But what, what, what's hard for you? Um, well, I hope I don't get in trouble. The last time I answered a question like this, my co-founder, my brother was like, why did you say that in the interview? I was like, <laughs> Cause it's real. That's why. Um, well, that's what we want. We, you know, this is again. Don't, don't fear not. You're in a safe place. Well, so I think the hardest thing has been, you know, back in March of last year, uh, when the world shut down. Um, all of our orders. We were primarily a wholesale brand selling to Saks, Bloomingdale's, Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus. Every single one of them said, not only are our orders canceled that we were about to ship them, but we also don't know when we're going to reopen. And so as a company, you know, to watch 70% of your business shear off a cliff was arguably the scariest moment in my life. But then what does that mean for us as a company? It meant we had to let go of people 
that I love that were like my family. It meant we had to furlough. It meant we had to do pay cuts. Um, it meant that all of a sudden you have a tinier team and everyone has five jobs. And I think when people, you know, when I say you have to love what you do so much that you're just willing to keep going, it would have been easier to go out of business. You know, I could have said, oh, I got a couple, I got, you know, a little bit of money in savings and I guess we can move in with my parents and I'll, I'll surface and figure out what I want to do. Um, but to be able to reorient our entire company around direct to consumer, you know, figure out how to get in front of her, figure out how to entertain her, delight her, sell her bags when she doesn't need bags, when she's not going anywhere. It has been the hardest work of not only my life, but my team's life to do this and then come out the other side. So I think that was the, I guess, the uh, trial by fire. You know, we survived and we made the choice. You know, it's not going to be easier. The easier choice is to go under. But what does that say to the people that have worked for us or the factories or all the people that have helped build this brand? We just can't go out like that. Um, so that was hard. Currently today, you know, as we're emerging, we kind of definitely have gotten stronger. We now have a very beautiful garden in our backyard that we are growing and it's, you know, it has its kinks, but we're working it out and we're a different company because of it. Um, I think there's the things that I, that I make me unhappy now are just the small things that fall through the cracks where sometimes as a mother, I don't feel as present as I would like to be. I would love to sit there with my kids and just play with them and not be worrying about the fact that my book is coming out in a few days and I'm stressed out of my mind or, you know, or I'd love to go on a date with my husband. You know, we barely talk right now, not because we're mad at each other, but because we're both so focused on our careers and keeping our businesses afloat. So I think those are the things that today annoy me. And I'm like, how do I, how do I just get, play with a dumb alligator toy and be as joyful as my three-year-old is right now? But instead I'm like, oh, I can't wait till he forgets about me and I can go back to work. Not, you know, like I don't want to have those feelings. Well, thank you for sharing those. I think those are definitely not the things that make the highlight real. And this idea of, there's two pieces there. One being a mother and two complete reinvention in uh, an emerging post pandemic world. First point first on the being a mom, any just overt advice you have. And thank you for sharing this transparently. Like I got an email. I want, I love you, but I want you to forget about me for a second while I can go do my thing over here. Um, just it's got to be so inspiring uh, to hear from you who have done so many things and has managed to, you know, have such a connected home that you, you, and, and you, you can make it work. Is there advice that you have for mothers who look at their um, look at that role and, and want to, continue achieving in the way that you have? And, and can you just share with us any wisdom there? Yeah, I talk a little bit about it in the book, whether you have a business partner or a partner. I think one of the things that my husband and I did in the beginning, and it was his phone was broken when we first met and he was in LA and I was in New York, but he could text. And so it became this like, do you like skiing or uh, snowboarding? Do you like dogs or cats? Do you love that? And it was this back and forth of of just finding out all these things that would probably never come up on a date. 
um, that you wouldn't ask, but because we were texting and you didn't really have long conversations when you had phones that went like A, B, C, D, <laughs> one, two, three, you know, you, you kept it short. Um, and we kind of did this, like, what do you need and want from a relationship? What do I need and want? And do, do those needs match up? And we continue to have those conversations where when we see the other not meeting the needs and wants of the other person, we call it out. And I think that's really important for business or personal because things evolve and change and people do. Um, and then I think, you know, as we've seen through the pandemic, a predominant amount of women have been impacted with having to manage home and work. And I make light of it in a little bit. And I say, if your partner watched a baby come out of you and they were there for that nightmare of an event, you can certainly ask them to do the dishes or pick up the kids or help out a little bit more in the house um, because it's important that you know who your partner is, that that you each know each other and have the same expectations. And I think um, if they if they watch that difficult thing of baby coming out of you, you can have that difficult conversation. Um, I would also add to that um, that I think if you are going to take on a business partner. Um, it's important that you have those same conversations. My brother is my co-founder and CEO, and we've had periods where it's like, oh, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. And then we've had periods where it's like, I fucking hate you, and I wish we had never done this. And it's because one of us wasn't meeting the other's expectations or wasn't on board with a direction or was giving the other one a hard time. And I think that brother, sister, or sibling dynamic can make it even worse so it's even more critical that with your partners, you just have this open, honest dialogue and, and vomit it out on the table. It might be nerve wracking, but you have to do it to get to a place where both people are sort of realigned. And is that trial by fire or is there some method that you use or, you know, how did you, how did you master that? Because clearly if it's been as important as the, the thing that you would recommend for you know, making motherhood work as a, with a, a partner or a co-parent or, or in business that you've, you've had some tough times. Is there like, is it just put it out there or is there any, is, is there any wrapper that you can put around that to help people? So for, particularly for my brother and I, we hired a business mediator. They're like a couples counselor, but for businesses and they can listen to both sides. They can keep, you know, the heated conversation sort of, you know, tampered. Mm -hmm. Um, for my husband and I, we sat there and we wrote it out. Like, this is what I need and want from you as a partner, husband, father. He wrote out the same to me. We looked at it. We discussed it. We compared and contrast, you know, even down to the dumb shit. I put the two little kids to bed. It takes me an hour, but he makes the lunches in the morning because he knows I like to sleep in, you know, sleep, sleep in. I'll put quotes around it. Um, <laughs> till seven, right? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I think it's like this, okay, this is tit for tat. This is what you got. This is what I got. And let's do that dance. Um, I also think in the same way that the pandemic has made it harder on women with work, it's also given us an opportunity. It's given us an opportunity in the way that we can say, you see what's happening behind me. I have a life. It has been unveiled. There is no separation. Therefore, these are my boundaries. And it might be easier said than done, but anyone who got anything done ever has had to stick their neck out. You know, I make extreme comparisons to women marching for our right to vote, you know, getting beaten and jailed. 
or Susan Fowler calling out Uber, right? You think she was like, oh, this is comfortable. I'm about to upend an entire industry and force out a CEO. No, but we're going to have to stick our neck out to some degree to get what we want. So you might have to make those hard calls with your boss and say, if you want me to keep working, I need a raise, or this is my boundary line, or this is, you know, this is how I want my life to be now that we're coming back to work. And I think it's on us to do that because no one's going to fight that fight for us, but, but ourselves. I, I think that that, uh, the pandemic did so much, uh, um, was disproportionately harmed women, of course, also disproportionately harmed communities of color that the empathy that when you see that in real time, we have, you know, people that I know, very dear friends and work colleagues that, you know, two adults and two kids and a two bedroom apartment in a big city and, and what an amazing, um, challenge that was. And I feel like that's in a weird way that for, if you look back in history, so many moments were required. They felt horrible at the time, but to, to go forward with the way that rewriting a new normal, um, do you feel like the, the work that you had to do in the pandemic, uh, tightening up your finances, you know, you talked about, um, furloughs and, you know, people taking more jobs. Do you, is it just lip service that you're going to be stronger because of that? Or is it, is it real? And is, the, are those tangible things? The fact that, you know, bosses and coworkers could see inside of your house, you know, are, are there real tangible benefits that we are going to be able to look back on the pandemic and say, tougher than hell, hardest thing in my life, but critical for the future? Um, a hundred percent what you said, the second part of what you said, it was, um, incredibly hard, um, nightmarish sometimes, and we're still not through, you know, all of it. It's not like everyone has gone back completely to normal with their habits, um, but we had a vision of where we wanted to be from a ratio perspective as a company that we thought it would take five years to get to where we are today with our direct to consumer business and then our <clears throat> wholesale business. So it was a lot of pain. It would have been a little less painful to do it over five years, but we're here now and we're set up that we'll always be able to eat on our own. I don't know what the, the saying is, but like we now know we can eat from what we grow in our backyard. So if department stores go away tomorrow, we're fine. And that is an incredible place to be as a company versus where we were before when they went away, we almost lost everything. So I, I think, you know, there's no lessening the effect that the pandemic had on especially people that, you know, single moms, you know, people with consulting jobs. Um, but there are some silver linings to be had from it. Uh, what's next? I mean, again, you've got clothing, handbags, shoes, accessories, perfume, learning platform podcasts. Like is it, is, is next, is it less things with more, more focus? Is it, you're going to continue to expand the footprint again, asking for all of our listeners right now that, you know, no one wants to be on a hamster wheel, but you've made this um, an amazing living and life out of constant reinvention, constantly bringing new products to, I mean, even the fact that you started renting, you know, 
things in that you had created uh, to give more access? Like, what's next? Are you always will you always be reinventing, or you know, it is the future for Rebecca Minkoff look narrower and tighter? What's you know, where's your aperture going over the course of the next say, you know, one one three five years? So what made Madonna fascinating is she was always reinventing herself, right? She was always popping out as some new character, some new look, some new type of music. We will never stop reinventing. It's part of our DNA. It's part of why people continue to look and see what we do. Um, and there's also tightening. It's getting more focused on our social. It's, it's doing less, uh, being everywhere at all times. You know, for a minute... I was managing a YouTube platform, TikTok, Instagram, Reels, like clubhouses all the time, podcasts, like um, a consultant was like, you're, you are way too accessible. Like there's nothing special about what you do if you're everywhere all the time. So when we pull back, it's just, just to be more focused on, on the channels we're on and the channels we're winning on um, and to double down on those areas. So um, I think that's our, that's our sort of, you know, with our windows to the world, we got more narrow and more focused. But then as far as innovation and all the excitement that we get to do, um, that'll always be new and exciting and evolving. Awesome. Awesome. I want to direct uh, before I, I just got uh, one more line of questions. But before we do, I want to direct people where you want them to to go in the internet world. Of course, I've mentioned the book several times, which is incredible. Uh, I high recommend here around fearless, the new rules for unlocking creativity, courage, and success. And is there like, it, would it just be your personal, uh, name into the internet? Where would you steer people? What's, what, you know, is it the, the female founders collective is the podcast. If, if we could go to one or two places besides the book, because this audience, the, our listeners know that supporting authors, especially in their first week of a book coming out is critical, but I want to know, like secondarily, where, where do you want us to go? Uh, I think you should go to the world I created. You should go to Rebecca Minkoff.com or my handle at Rebecca Minkoff. Uh, and from there, you'll find all the links to everything else you just mentioned. So that is that is the homepage. Um, and just see, you know, see what myself and my team create um, and hopefully make you feel more confident, make you feel celebrated and that those moments that are important to you, you know, you had that you had your friend, that bag or, or that top there with you that kind of gave you that extra little, you know, when you put your shoulders back and you're like, oh, yeah, I got this today. Awesome. Thank you. Um, the last line of, uh, conversation I'm hoping to hear a little bit about is let's go back to the beginning of our conversation. And you talked about your mom, not buying you the thing, but instead buying you a tool and, uh, a tool to create your own, whatever your, your own fashion at the time or something that fit you, that allowed you to, to be who you are. And so whether this is for a parent or a peer helping a friend, um, how important was that concept of showing up and giving someone, it's, 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 the, it's the idea of teaching someone to fish rather than giving them a fish. I see it you know, in, in what you're doing with your employees. I see that from your, your mom. I see it in the Female Founders Collective. It seems like it's, it's a theme. And so I'm wondering, you know, if you can 
take us across the finish line here with, with, is that the people that you choose to spend time with? Is that the, um, just being willing to be a teacher and to seek teachers, you know, how, if you can put a macro lens on this, how has that affected you and what are some pieces of advice that you would give? That as much as we all want to just go like this and click the button and it arrives, your car arrives, you know, your Uber, your Amazon, your, your book that you're going to buy, my book arrives tomorrow. Um, your success is not a push button. Your journey is not a button that you can push. So you have to know how to do things and you have to know how to, you almost not even before that, you have to know how to figure it out. And I think that that's a skill that can be learned and it's learned when you stop asking for people to hand you things and you start, um, if you can, surrounding you with people who, again, will give you the fishing rod and the bait. Um, and then say, go, figure it out. Keep trying till you come back with a fish. Um, and I think when people talk about success, you know, again, they'll distill it down to money and fame. To me, success is not only being able to keep going, but that I can, I can go catch my own fish. And I could do it again and again. Maybe it's not bags. Maybe it's beach chairs or towels or whatever it is. But I know that I'll figure it out. So I think invest in yourself to get to know how to figure things out. And you have to do a lot of learning and it's not going to come quick. But once you have that skill, you can apply it to any area of your life. And then you're, you can be successful at whatever you do. Spoken like a true visionary, Rebecca, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, we've already found, uh, we already heard from you on where to go to support you and your work. Congrats again on the book. Uh, all the, the pivot during the pandemic was super impressive. And uh, I just want to thank you for your time. And I see you acknowledge you. I'm grateful for the work you put out in the world. You're so inspiring to so many. And, and thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to do it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen out there on the internet, until next time, from uh, Rebecca and yours truly, we bid you adieu. All right, that is a wrap. But before you go, hey, I wanted to say thank you so much. And I do note that many of you have asked how you can help me out there in the world. And I have a great answer for that. And it is sharing this show. Um, my goal is I create this content with a, with a talented, hardworking crew over here at Creative Live. And our goal is to get this information out there into the world, help the, the greatest creators and, and entrepreneurs of our time get their ideas spread far and wide. So you sharing your takeaways or just links to the show, any of the podcast platforms or whatever means the world to me. Thing two, how you can help if you care is to leave a review at your preferred podcast platform. That also helps surface uh, this show, the guests uh, in, in search results on each of the platforms. And it means a lot. So thank you so much. Really, really grateful. And I'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode, hopefully soon, maybe next, maybe right after this, maybe you're going to listen Anyway, whenever you get around to it, I'm here. Thank you.